Right, good to see you tonight. Philippians is where we're at. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> it is good to have Cooper's back, half of them, anyway, tonight. So, pray for Barb. When, when do you guys fly out, Janice? Okay, all right. And uh, that's good. So pray for them as they travel, too, and uh, get down there. And, and uh, Boy, we'll be, I will be praying for that. With uh, I'm really glad your son gets to do the service. That's wonderful. Um, that uh, gospel will be clear, hopefully. Philippians chapter 2. Can you imagine the thorn that <clears throat> Paul was to Satan's side? I mean, just uh, Satan didn't know what to do with him. If, uh, if he locked him up in prison, then he will win the jailers to Christ and write letters that will, you know, transform churches for the rest of time, basically. Sets him free, he wins whole continents to, the, uh, to Christ. Uh, you kill him, and then he wins a martyr's crown. You just, he couldn't win with Paul, because everything he did, Paul would still continue to serve the Lord. It's a great lesson for us. Uh, and then here, uh, in one of the, the worst conditions or the worst times of Paul's life, humanly speaking, he writes a book on joy. I mean, that's a great example to us as, as Christians. Paul's victory uh, is evident in chapter 1 that we've already went through as he spoke about his joy in Christ. In chapter 2 now, he's going to introduce us to some other figures for our example. Uh, Paul deals more directly here in this chapter with the problems that are ruining the fellowship in the Philippian church. Uh, there's some there's some problems he's got going on there. He'll deal with them more directly as we go through this. Uh, he's already talked about in chapter 1 those that were trying to discourage him through their partisan preaching. And, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit, but it's interesting that somebody could be preaching the truth, but they're trying to discourage Paul while they're doing it, uh, maybe in a competitive type way. It doesn't It's not clear exactly how they were trying to discourage him with it. But Paul had the spiritual maturity to say, hey, if they're doing something for God, if they're preaching the gospel, have at it. It doesn't matter if they're trying to hurt me or not, as long as they get let the gospel go forth. Great attitude to have. Uh, we are we deal with uh, with with churches. I mean, we have churches in our area, and uh, churches in our state, and churches in our nation. They're not doing it exactly the way we do it. Uh, I just talked to a pastor today in town here, uh, whose whose church isn't isn't exactly what ours is. But he preaches the gospel, and, he, and he's uh, concerned about souls getting saved. And so we can be grateful for other works who are doing that, uh, that are not preaching all-out heresy. Uh, of course, we're the best. We know that. I mean, why, why? we don't want to hedge on that there, but, but uh, we'll just keep that between us here tonight. Uh, he he's, uh, continues here to, as I mentioned, deal with the strife spirit that we find uh, present in the Philippi church, so it's a great example for us today too. He uses three examples in this passage. We'll look at the first one tonight and uh, probably look at uh, the next three weeks will be these three examples, but Christ, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. Tonight uh, we begin with Christ. Let's look uh, verse number one. We'll read through verse six and we'll start unpacking this chapter. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, 
being of one accord, one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of him, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. I never noticed this till I was preparing this message uh, for this week. Uh, just the, the two like statements there. He was in the form of God and made himself in the form of a servant. I think that's interesting. We'll talk about that uh, in a few minutes here. And he was made in the likeness of Men. Father, we pray as we uh, look at some of these verses tonight that you encourage us and help us, uh, every one of us. I know I'm in need of these uh, verses here. I'm in need of applying these and, and uh, constantly trying to improve our walk with you. Lord, we want to have a church that is honoring to you, but we also want to be honoring to you in our own lives. And so may we apply these principles and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I mentioned Paul's first example was Christ. We see Christ and the rejoicing in sacrifice here. Paul is building uh, in the first four verses, uh, kind of building us up to the example of Christ. Uh, he tells us uh, here not to add to his, well, he was telling them directly, not to add to his problems by bickering, essentially, and giving him those things. His distress is evident in verse 1. Their dispute is evident in verses 2 uh, through 4. Looking, first of all, at his distress here. Uh, if there be any, therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy. So his petition here is threefold. Uh, he gives to them, there's the, uh, there's the supreme basis, the consolation uh, in Christ, the comfort of love. The word translated consolation here is the same root word translated comforter in John 14, 16. So the word consolation brings to mind the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe Paul was also thinking of his friend Barnabas, was the son of consolation. Remember the apostles called him that because of his comfort and his encouragement to, to the other folks there. So the word translated comfort uh, means persuasiveness. So we're to be ruled uh, by the consoling power of the Lord Jesus. Jesus in our lives and also the power of love, the comfort there of love. What a church uh, they would be and what a church we would be if we were led by those principles. And uh, so that should be our goal constantly. And, and as we talk about the Holy Spirit, things interesting, uh, Brother Forsberg mentioned a few minutes ago about quenching the Spirit. Uh, so when we when we do the things that Paul is going to be dealing with here uh, in their disputes and things in the church, then what really in effect we're doing is quenching the power of the Holy Spirit there, though. So uh, first there's a supreme basis, then there's a supernatural basis, the fellowship of the Spirit. Uh, some conflicts, and, and they were having conflict in this church, and some conflicts that even we find ourselves in the middle of are uh, are, are too intense to be resolved by natural means. Uh, there's just some things that, uh, humanly speaking, we never really get over. That's where the work of the Holy Spirit comes in. And if you've got two people that are both yielded to the Holy Spirit, there's really no conflict that can't be worked out. Now, I understand we see the example of Paul and Mark in the New Testament, and uh, the, the Bible never really tells us which one was wrong. Presumably, uh, both of them probably had good points, both of them. But the, 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 the 
fact of the matter is they had to, they had to separate. And then God used them both, which is good. And sometimes uh, that needs to happen. But, but here, in dealing with these conflicts here, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is needed. Uh, think about the great diversity that was just in the apostles alone. I think, I mean, after three years of traveling with Jesus, they must have somewhat melded together a little bit, but uh, think about just the big differences in, in all of them. You had Matthew the publican. That would have been a tough pill to swallow. Hey, I got a new man today who's going to be traveling with us. Who is it, Jesus? It's Matthew the publican. Uh, that wouldn't have thrilled any of those disciples, uh, the, the rest of the disciples they had there. And so uh, Peter must have embarrassed them all the time. We all got people like that, uh, right, who we can't take him anywhere. That was Peter. You couldn't take him anywhere. He'd stick his foot in his mouth and, and do uh, brash and, and uh, things. And so their personalities might have clashed. Think of the difference just in Peter, a man of action, and John, more of a dreamer. Uh, Jesus, remember, told Peter in John chapter 21 that you're going to die for me one day. And remember Peter's first response? Remember what he said? Turns to John, what about him? <laughs> and uh, Jesus basically told him, what is that to do? It's none of your business, Peter, what I'm, what's going to happen. He, in fact, he said, if he lives till I come again, none of your business. And, uh, but Peter and John, they uh, had a little bit of that back and forth. Remember Peter and John uh, raced to the tomb, and uh, of course they had to, mentioned in their Gospels who the winner was. Uh, Jesus told Peter uh, that here in that situation to mind his own business, but after Pentecost, they had a great relationship. And we're not going to go turn there, but Acts 3.1, Acts 4.13, Acts 8.14, all talk about the great relationship that Peter and John had. Why? Had the Holy Spirit. Hey, we, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're yielded to him. It's going to help our relationships, and it certainly helped theirs. So you have the supreme basis, the supernatural basis, and then the supporting basis. The, uh, he talks here about bowels and mercies. This refers to compassion. Paul asks them uh, to take care for one another uh, in understanding and mercy and uh, in, in compassion. And then in verse 2, he begins it with, Fulfill ye my joy. Now, Paul had learned the secret of joy. He's going to talk about it. Uh, he's learned in whatsoever state he is therewith to be content. He's, this is something that he's learned through. And, and by the way, that is a learned thing. It's not easy for us to be content in whatsoever state we find ourselves in unless we have some spiritual maturity. And so he's learned the jo secret of joy. Uh, Peter called it the joy unspeakable and full of glory in 1 Peter 1.8. And this is something that uh, comes with uh, growing in Christ. Joy is getting to know Jesus. Remember what Paul's desire was, that I may know him. And as he knows Jesus more, he had more joy. Jesus had prayed in John 17, 13, now, I, now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have joy in themselves. So joy, you could say, filled Paul's cup, but he had room for just a little more. So he says to them, fulfill ye my joy. He essentially asks for a few more drops here. What would bring that cup of joy to overflowing in Paul's life if they would quit bickering, if they'd get along, if they would have unity and conformity in that church there, if they settle their differences for the cause of Christ? So fulfill you my joy. And he goes on and, and says how? Be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Paul told the Philippians here to be like-minded. The word translated like-minded, uh, this is going to be 
uh, hard to believe, but it means to be of the same mind. <laughs> That's uh, sometimes a pretty self-explanatory. Like-minded, to be of the same mind. Paul wanted the Philippians to be like-minded or in the same mind in what they thought, thinking the same thing. Uh, that When we think the same thing, we have the same focus, spiritually speaking, that helps us to put petty differences aside and focus on what is really important. By the way, I believe that's a, a big reason why it's important to be at every service. Uh, you know, we, we encourage people. I encourage you to encourage others in our church to be here uh, every service that, we, that we're open. Uh, that helps us to be in the same mind, be like-minded. Uh, we talked on Sunday a little bit about one of my personal pet peeves is the I'm not getting fed line. I've, I've heard it many times, and, and Pastor Forsberg, I guarantee, has heard it. Not because he's not feeding people, but, you know, we hear it as preachers. I'm not getting fed. You know who most often says that is people that only come on Sunday mornings. And I always want to say, pull up to the trough a few more times. Maybe you'll get fed a little bit more, besides the fact that only babies still get fed. But, but uh, uh, be faithful, and that'll help being like-minded. Uh, there's a balance. I really strive. Sometimes I, I hope it. I hope it works out this way, but, you know, we have a different type of message on Sunday morning than we do on Sunday night. Uh, Sunday night, I always try to have something that we're working towards that uh, lends to the actions and how our church should be. We're always dealing with the church on Sunday night. Uh, what type of spirit? We're going through Acts right now, uh, which is the... the which is the church, this is the starting of the church. And, and we do our Baptist history and our uh, Baptist distinctives and, and all those different things on Sunday night is about the church. On Wednesday night, we try to go through some books of the Bible and just study. We, it is kind of called a Bible study. And, so, and then Sunday morning, we just rip it and let loose and, and preach the gospel and, and try to be a help to folks. Uh, and, and it might not go quite as deep on Sunday morning. Uh, although I hope there's something there for everybody. So there's a different focus on each service, and, and to be like-minded, I believe that's why it's important. Uh, so he wanted them to be like-minded in what they thought. He also wanted the Philippians to be like-minded in what they wrought. He wanted them to have the same love uh, in each of their hearts. Uh, the, the simple agreement, it does not last long if your heart's not in it. And so being, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, uh, there, there's a commitment that we make to one another in the body of Christ uh, so, so that we would have that same like-mindedness. He also wanted them to be like-minded in what they sought, be of one accord, of one mind. In other words, another uh, in one purpose. There ought to be a single purpose that, uh, that, that, that encapsulates what we want to do uh, through Bible Baptist Church. What we're talking about here in this verse is unity. The Philippians needed to get on the same page and Every church needs to be on the same page. That's not doesn't mean that everybody thinks exactly the same way, but we ought to be like-minded in our mission, like-minded in our goals, and like-minded uh, in our purpose uh, of the local church. He goes on to say, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Uh, now, where does strife originate? Well, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 13.10, uh, it, it tells us that only by pride cometh contention. That's the culprit of strife, is pride. Uh, strife is always, always rooted and supported by pride. Rooted in pride, supported by pride. Strife 
and vainglory are both named here. So they're two different things. Strife is uh, what uh, tries to pull the other person down. Vainglory is what tries to build ourselves up. So in two, these two things often work together, trying to pull others down while we're trying to lift ourselves up into a higher position. Vainglory is simply self-glory, a desire to exalt oneself. Uh, some people are so broken that they get upset at you for being whole. And uh, there's just, that, that's just, some folks are just like that. And so uh, there's a vainglory there. And because they're broken, are trying to uh, lift themselves up instead of dealing with the problems that uh, need to be dealt with. And so, uh, yeah, but you ever, we, we understand this idea of vainglory. No matter uh, what story you have, they're going to have one better. Uh, relentless name droppers. That's also a vainglory uh, trait sometimes. People who, I know this person, I know that person. I just ran into somebody like that recently, and and, uh, and it, it was fine. I don't think he was seeped in vainglory, but it always interests me when they use uh, name droppers, inserting themselves in every conversation. I'm just talking about people that are trying to build themselves up constantly, working on their own kingdom instead of God's kingdom, exalting themselves. One uh, commentator put it this way, that vainglory is groundless self-esteem. Groundless. That's the key to it. Uh, self Trying to build ourselves up when we do not deserve to be uh, in that uh, place, or if we really need to work on something on the inside. This is what we're ingraining in our kids today, I'm afraid, vainglory. Uh, this is groundless self-esteem. That's what I believe you get when you have uh, competitive sports where we do not keep score. Yeah, those two don't mix, by the way. Competitive sports where you do not keep score. It's not competitive anymore if you're not keeping score. But uh, or, or we give trophies for mediocrity, like participation trophies and things like that. And we talk a lot about those things, but those, those really can lead to uh, some vainglory, uh, self-esteem issues. Um, by the way, a survey that was taken of thousands of 12th graders a few years ago nationwide uh, found that those who attended church on a regular basis tended to have a positive, positive self-image an optimistic attitude and enjoy their life. So that that would be one way that we could work on people's self-image is uh, get them involved in the local church. Uh, but self-esteem is not a biblical. It's not a biblical idea. Okay, self-esteem is where we that would be undeserved uh, vainglory. And so uh, you you do those things and you. You give this mediocrity trophies out and you not keep score. You, you, you lose the thrill of uh, the reward, uh, the winning as a reward of hard work. And that's a good thing. We need to learn that. We need to instill it in our kids that you work hard and then you can gain some things. Or the bitter lessons of defeat. Haven't you in your life learned some things through defeat? Yeah, nothing wrong with that. What we do sometimes is even as parents, but as a society right now, as we, we're removing all those things from our children that really will shape and help them become better human beings and trying to protect them too much. And so we need to, we need to be balanced in that area there. Vainglory is devastating to a ch Christian. And it's also devastating in a church when you have Christians uh, who are caught up in vainglory. Vainglory is an attempt to bring glory to yourself when it is undeserved. Exalting self without justification, and uh, these things are very harmful. 
Now, another way to put it, these two words would be contentiousness and conceit. Either one of these can ruin a child of God. We allow contentiousness in our life or conceit. Uh, by the way, both of these were present in the rebellion of Korah in the Old Testament. There was both strife and vainglory, uh, contentiousness and conceit. When they murmured and complained, they challenged Moses and Aaron by saying this in number 16.3, you take too much upon you, tearing down. And the, the inference there was, we ought to be part of this decision-making process too. Vainglory. See both of them there? Tearing him down, raising self up. Uh, they wanted to pull Moses and Aaron down and put, put themselves uh, up into their position. This is all too common uh, in even God's work today. So what's the answer then? I believe we should find our place where God wants us and then just serve. Just get busy and do God's work in our place, serve within our role. Uh, in marriages, strife and vainglory is incredibly harmful and destructive. Uh, the most, and I've seen it in many, many, many uh, couples I've counseled and just families I've worked with, but the most miserable woman in the world is one who runs the home. I mean, she may think that's what she wants to do, but there's no joy in that because she's out of her role. Uh, this is, uh, there's, if we work within our role, that's where we get true Christian joy from. And so find your role and work within it. Carnal people will make small problems bigger. Spiritual people will make big problems smaller. How does that work? Well, carnality focuses on strife and vainglory and makes, uh, you can take a small problem and make a huge mountain out of it. And that's, uh, that's something that can be very destructive. Reducing friction in the local church uh, and in your family and in your life uh, is the responsibility of every Christian. Ephesians 4.3 tells us endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so he says, again, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So here he starts with the cure for the disputes. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. This is not promoting a false humility. Uh, in other words, not wanting to recognize or use your gifts for the Lord because uh, you're not, you just keep your head. You know what I'm talking about with false humility, uh, beating up on oneself, uh, to pretend not to have uh, abilities that we certainly have is not humility. That is hypocrisy. If you have a gift that God's given you, use it for Him. Amen. Uh, be involved and and uh, you know, if you're musical, praise the Lord. If you can teach, uh, praise the Lord. Let Him use those things in your life uh, to esteem others better than ourselves, is not to think of ourselves as superior to others, not to have our nose up in the air or looking down on others because of how much better we are. It's to give others preferential treatment. We're talking about just plain old kindness here is really what this is saying. Just be kind to others. Humility is what ought to... Remember where, where contention and strife comes from? Pride. So if we have humility in our life, then that will bring the opposite effect. 
Humility is the opposite of conceit and selfishness. Humility desires the advancement of others. If you're a humble person, then you can truly be grateful and, and thrilled at the, at the success of some other Christian, uh, another brother and sister in Christ. We ought to do all that we can to help others get to the next level in their Christian life. And listen, this is all of our jobs, by the way. I think that every one of us ought to be a part in this. We, we've talked before. I, I brought this message before. I'll continue to pound this home. Every one of us needs a Paul in our life. We need somebody that teaches us things about uh, the Word of God, and, and we need mentors. Every one of us needs a Barnabas in our life. We need somebody in the body of Christ that will encourage us, that will lift us up, that can be a friend and, and uh, we fellowship with uh, in the, in, during our Christian walk. But we all need a Timothy, too. We need a Paul. We need a Barnabas. We need a Timothy. You ought to... You ought to identify those three in your life right now, right here tonight. You ought to be able to write their names down. Who are you learning from? Who are you fellowshipping with? Who's your, who are you friend, friending yourself with and, and gaining that? And then who are you pouring yourself into? Everybody ought to have a Timothy. Everybody ought to be working to help others get to the next level in their Christian life. And if they, buy, if they pass you up, praise the Lord. Uh, pick somebody else and work on them. Uh, this sort of outward focus is going to intuitively lead to unity among the people of God. If we are all working towards helping each other grow in Christ, then intuitively we're going to have unity. It is not that type of attitude that causes strife. It is the self-promotion attitude that causes strife. And uh, that's what we have to watch for. So, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. If we are a people that esteems other people better than ourselves, we're going, to, we're going to eliminate strife. That'll help. And then he goes on. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, I'm not even going to spend any time on this, uh, telling you much what this not is, but this is not talking about uh, minding other people's business or being nosy. Okay? This is in context. Here we're talking about helping other people, uh, doing things for other people. Look not every man, so, so not, only do we, uh, not only do we take care of ourselves, but also uh, we help others. It is worldly to seek your own prosperity. Now, I want to say that carefully because I don't mean it's always wicked, but it's worldly to seek your own prosperity. Now, nothing wrong with having a nice house, having nice things, having toys, even, you know, um, don't know why anybody would want a boat, but if you want a boat, nothing wrong with wanting a boat. Uh, so nothing wrong with toys, uh, getting things. And but, but it's still worldly. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, you can't take a boat to heaven. I'm hoping you can take a motorcycle. I'm not sure yet, but you probably can't take a motorcycle to heaven either. You don't, it's, it's just worldly. So when I say worldly, I'm not saying wicked, just worldly. It's worldly to seek your own prosperity. Um, all unsaved people live this way too. Doesn't mean, I'm, again, not saying wicked here, just worldly. It's to, to, to have nice things. It's uh, to, to, to buy a nice watch or to have a nice car or to have a nice house. These things are just, they're things that will one day burn up. One day they'll be gone. So the world does this too. Uh, to seek the prosperity and the good and the promotion of others is not natural. That's divine. That's a godly trait there. So 
uh, this verse gives us, I think, the heart and the spirit of Jesus in a nutshell. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So let's have a heavenly focus. Now, again, I hope, I hope everybody understand the spirit I said in it when I said worldly. Those things, you know, we're all doing that already. To some extent, we, we, have, we get things, we accrue things, we buy things, we like nice things. That's, that's all right and fine, but let's not forsake the heavenly part. By the way, if we want to enlarge your coast uh, in, in your Christian life, this is the way to do it. If you only seek to enlarge yourself and what you have, uh, that'll lead to a uh, life of selfishness, smallness, and a callous spirit. It'll lead to a wasted life. It'll lead to squandered potential. Let me give you just a couple examples. Cain promoted himself. Uh, God told, made it very clear to them what they were supposed to bring. Uh, Cain promoted his own interests when he offered his own works, and it uh, led to God's rejection of him in every way. Samson promoted his own interests when he demanded a heathen for a wife. What did it cost him? It cost him his eyes eventually. It cost him his life. Uh, it cost him dying in shame. It cost him everything. Lot, remember Lot promoted his own interests when Abraham. God had promised Abraham all the land there, and Abraham still has enough Christian uh, charity to tell Lot you can choose. It was, it was Abraham's for the choosing. God hadn't promised this to Lot, promised it to Abraham. But you see the difference between Abraham and Lot. Uh, Abraham was not looking on his own things. He's looking on uh, the things of others. Well, Lot wasn't like that. He uh, said he'll take the best. He'll, uh, he chose the well-watered plains, it said. And, of course, we know that led him to Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, eventually to uh, salty wife and to uh, ruin children, uh, you know, and lost everything. But let us be people that esteem others and look how we can increase others and in so doing we'll enlarge ourselves. Does that make sense? Abraham in that story, he, he didn't lose it all by taking the rocky plains. God blessed him immensely. Now we look at the, the person of Christ here, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, there's something interesting here. I love these little pearls, and maybe this won't mean much to you, but Paul uses the messianic title here, Christ Jesus. It emphasizes, one, uh, the exalted one who empties himself, Christ Jesus. Now, in uh, chapter 2, verse 11, Jesus Christ describes the rejected one who is afterwards glorified. Now, here's what's interesting. Christ Jesus suggests grace. Jesus Christ suggests his glory. Christ Jesus, in other words, Christ emptied himself. Glory came and was born as Jesus. That was, uh, suggests his grace. And then Jesus Christ, Jesus who was uh, a man then raised, well, not we know he was man and God, but he was uh, Jesus the man and then raised from the dead. So that uh, suggests his glory. Uh, it's interesting that the disciples, Peter, uh, John, Jude, and James, those are the ones who had always walked with Jesus on, on earth. They always referred to him as Jesus Christ. couple of exceptions with Peter. But they referred to him as Jesus Christ. This was the order of their experience. They first knew him as Jesus, then they saw him as, he's, as he was resurrected and uh, saw him in his glory. 
Paul was reversed. He saw him first in his glory, and then he recognized who uh, he was as a man as well. So Paul uh, exclusively calls him Christ Jesus, and the disciples call him Jesus Christ. I just think that's an interesting thing uh, that, that we see in the Bible, uh, because uh, the, his experience was the reverse of theirs. Now, Paul's about to describe for us the mind of Jesus here in the following verses. Now, I should clarify, when he says, let this mind being you, which is also in Christ Jesus, we're not talking about and uh, a, a complete list. He's not going through all the attributes of Jesus. He's going to focus on the qualities here that fit the needs of the people he's talking to. So, But he first tells them what to do with the information. Before he tells them what the mind of Jesus is, let this mind be in you. So we ought to imitate it. Look, it's one thing to stand at a distance and admire Jesus, and the, his life and his words. Paul wants us to do more than that. Let the mind that was in him, let that be in us as well. God wants us to, number one, we have to understand it to some level, which means the studying of his word, and then imitate it. How can this happen? How do you get the mind of somebody else in you? We see it in marriage. You know, you, you talk to a couple who's been married for 30, 40, 50 years. They're pretty much melded together and thinking the same way and acting the same way, reacting the same way. A lot of them even look like each other. I've never quite figured that out. But uh, because people that spend a lot of time together tend to think the same way, tend to each other's mind be in each other's uh, head. So uh, this can take place in a relationship of a husband and wife. It can also be business partners or anybody that you spend uh, a lot of time with. When we find ourselves not thinking like Christ, there's really one problem, and that is we haven't been spending enough time with him. But we spend time in his word, among his people, a local church, under the preaching of the word of God. This isn't rocket science. The more time we spend with God, the more we'll be like him. That's just how it is. The more time we spend with each other, the more that we'll be uh, like one another or think like one another. A neglect of God's word in our lives will leave us without direction and wisdom. The Bible says in Jeremiah 8, 9, the wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. If we reject God's word and we aren't in God's word, then we're going to be devoid of wisdom as well. It's interesting uh, that this really, as we know God more, this is going to lead to our humility. I like the way one person put it. Knowing God makes us humble. Knowing ourselves keeps us there. <laughs> we need the humility of knowing who God is and knowing who we are, and that will keep us in the humility that we should have. Verse number 6. He starts telling us what Christ's uh, mind was. And in fact, I, I know we're five minutes early, but I might stop there because this sort of starts a new segment here. Uh, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Uh, the word there, form, uh, external appearance. I was kind of excited to share that with you, but we'll, go, we'll get into that next week. Uh, because uh, God, um, uh, Jesus, who was, in, who, who was in the form of God, course it wasn't robbery to be equal to God he was God and then 
the ne- what, what the power that has, making himself no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. Man, that's powerful stuff. Uh, it amazes me that Jesus Christ was who he was, able to make himself into a servant, and who we are. <laughs> who, I mean, in our lowly condition, we want to build ourselves up. That's just the natural human response. Man, Jesus, he was everything. He was God himself. And he allowed himself to be a simple servant. Had no home. Was here to minister to others. So of all things, we ought not ever to think ourselves something we're not. Amen? Uh, God, if anybody... Uh, if Jesus could humble himself like he did, there's no reason for any of us to have pride in our life, uh, which, of course, will be the birthplace for strife. And so let's, uh, let's apply those things. And we'll pick that up next week.